Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. And we are back after a pretty thorough drubbing of North Carolina uh, Central this past Saturday. Uh, what what did we take away from this game? I don't feel like there was much to really take away from it, aside from Chip Kelly got his three quarterback game. Um, we actually played five quarterbacks in this game, but really three three played meaningful snaps. Any anything anything we should take away from it? Hard to know. Well, I mean, going into the game, I, I think I. I when we talked last, I said the only thing I really wanted to see was our defense continue to show the signs of life that it had, um, pretty much by just stuffing an FCS team, kind of like we should be stuffing an FCS team, and we did that. So for me, that was, again, the only real positive takeaway, if anything. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, I'm not sure this game was really good for anybody involved. Uh, great for you know North Carolina Central to come to the Rose Bowl and you know come to LA and play and such and and great from that standpoint and make some money and make some they made a lot of money to do it for UCLA um, I don't think any of these reps were really very meaningful on from on offense um, and on defense they probably weren't meaningful either other than the fact that like us fans just wanted to see good defense continue and so from that standpoint it was fine. Um, but overall, when 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 the score is thirty-five to nothing after the first quarter, you kind of know right at that point like there's not much to take away from the game. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There's there's really not a whole lot to, you know, hang our hat on on this one. One thing I will say, I'm glad we took all of our starters out early rather than later, uh, rather than try to get them game reps. To your point, that are meaningless. Uh, rather keep those guys healthy for the big test upcoming. Uh, also, there's kind of a sportsmanship aspect to it, right? You can sit there and keep your starters in longer, even your second string in longer, and, and run up the score on this team. That's not fun for anybody, really. It's just no reason to embarrass somebody. Uh, yeah, we could have gotten to 100 in the game, I think, if we wanted to. I think so. I, I actually tweeted that. I was like, can we get to 100? And... The more I watched that game, I, I think we easily could have. I think it, though, it was the right thing to do to just sit back and just run the ball for, you know, an entire half. I, I don't know if we threw the ball in that second half at all. But uh, Dante Moore looked good. Again, take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, he continues to play really well. Uh, he has one of the highest passer ratings in the nation right now for any quarterback at any school. Uh, let that sink in for a second. As a fr- yeah. true freshman, yeah, I, I we said we said this last week. We got to recruit a quarterback next year, because because Dante Moore is going to be gone the year after that. Um, he will be he will be gone, and it's really good that this is happening this season. Um, for one, you know we needed a bridge between last season and and this one, and we've got that and then some in Dante Moore. But then entering the Big Ten, um, just looking at the state of the Big Ten right now, it's not exactly the Big Ten of you know three four years ago. Um, it the, the middle to lower parts of the league, like the parts that we were really dreading, because I think we can all accept losing to Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State. 
but the middle parts of the league are, are not what they really were. And Dante Moore is going to keep us competitive and then some in those games. So I, I think that part's really good. Well, he's only going to get better, right? This is, again, his true freshman season. So it has been fun to watch him. And I, I think the the test and the level of that test just gets exponentially more difficult this Saturday. Uh, as we go up to Rice-Eccles in Utah and take on the Utes there. Yeah, a place that we, we haven't done very well. Um, Horrible. We, 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 we've been pretty miserable uh, up there. And I guess when we talk about, you know, takeaways from this game, like the actual game itself, there aren't takeaways. But that first quarter, I think there was some intention behind, you know, what we were trying to call um, a lot of deep balls, which, you know, I think that was Chip Kelly putting it on tape so that I don't think he, even the most optimistic UCLA fan doesn't want to put that this entire next game um, in Salt Lake on Dante Moore's shoulder. Um, and so I think the early parts of that game was a lot of Chip Kelly trying to show the Utah staff, hey, we can hit you over the top, so don't stuff our box with 10, 11 people because... We'd rather not be doing that on our first start for our freshman on the road in a, in a proper environment, right? Not San Diego State, but a proper environment. Um, so I think that was a lot of the intention early on is like, hey, keep your safeties back because I think we're going to need to run the ball well this game. Um, and then Colin Schley getting an extended run and being very effective doing it, showing some wheels doing it. Even if, again, NC, Cent- NC Central withstanding, I mean, that breakaway run for the the, the touchdown run. Um, those were all the things that I think was, were the most meaningful takeaways from the game in terms of just putting stuff on tape for Utah. Cause anytime you go on the road, you're going to need to pack your defense, but you're also going to need to pack a run game and with a true freshman quarterback, just try to lighten the load on him a little bit, especially against the two time defending pack 12 champs. I have a question about Schley Schley for you. Uh, he's he's clearly very athletic. Uh, he can run. He he plays pretty tough. I've seen it floated around that you know the idea of using him some something like Taysom Hill is used for the Saints. You know Taysom Hill for those who don't know quarterback originally uh, has been on the Saints for a, a few years now and just really. Feels like the most complete football player on offense of all time. Like, you could put him in at QB. He, You can put him in at receiver. You can put him in at tight end. You can put him in at running back. And he just does everything. People keep floating this around. Like, hey, can we use him like Taysom Hill? What do you think about that idea? I mean, Taysom Hill, to your point, is kind of like the unicorn of unicorns. Like, the Saints line him up at tight end when they want. And, like, he he can chip a defensive end and then run deep. So Taysom Hill is a high bar there. Now that's that I get where you're going with that. And I, I, I think there are a set of gadget plays being built into the package of Colin Schley. And now when we're going to see it, it's just, it's super interesting because you usually save those for the, the really big games. And, like, you look at UCLA's schedule, when's that big game? It's this week, obviously, but then it's the next week, and it's the week after that, and then two weeks after that. So we got a lot of them in there. So, like, when are we going to see the gadgets come out? 
um, if we're going to see him. It's probably an interesting subplot to this. One might make the case that like you want to pull out some of the stops at Utah. Um, but Utah, is this a bit early in the year where like do you feel comfortable enough with execution and such to get that all out there? Um, you know, that's another thing there. But but absolutely, we're, we're developing something with that Colin Schley package to where we're going to use it in the red zone. We're going to try to attach some actions off of it that we'll try to use later in the year against teams. Uh, it, it It's definitely going to be an interesting subplot that, you know, Chip Kelly is going to be building in. But when are we going to see it? That's Is it this weekend? We'll see. I think he's 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 an interesting weapon to have on the team, and he's too good to just leave on the bench based on what we've seen. Again, he's an experienced player who's played a lot of college football, and he transferred here uh, not to sit on the bench the entire game, right? Obviously, he's not going to be our starting QB anytime soon. But I, th- I think he's shown enough, again, with these gadget plays, with these, these special packages, that he, he can be a weapon... Um, and to your point, let's see if we see that this week. I, again, I don't think we're going to see this whole Taysom Hill thing. Uh, I feel like people just keep comparing him to Taysom Hill online because he's a white quarterback. Uh, but I, I, I do think that we will see some sort of uh, package for him at some point. And, and I think, you know, doing this at, at Utah... Not a bad idea if we're if we need it, but it'll be obviously a hostile environment to try to pull this off in. But you know that's the, sometimes the type of need, sometimes the type of play that you need on the road against a nasty team like Utah. Yeah, and I mean nasty in the best possible way for them, like as a compliment, because they are a nasty team. They are a nasty team. Utah is really interesting right now because so obviously. The big elephant in the room is is Cam is Cam Rising going to play, um, and and if you read all the stuff coming out of there, he's been practicing with the team, but he hasn't gotten clearance from his surgeon to actually go and play. So, I mean, we have I have no idea what that means, right? So, and and none of us really do. In the interim, they're playing. So far, they've been playing two quarterbacks. Um, Bryson Barnes has been pretty miserable. Uh, it, the, the opening game against Florida was all right, but against Baylor really struggled um, and then was benched after that in favor of the next quarterback, Nate Johnson. They used him a lot more as a running threat uh, than a throwing one um, and then trying to build off of that. So the quarterback situation without Cam Rising is dicey for Utah, but where does Utah make their money, uh, as always? Defensive line. You know, secondary, right? And and, and everyone's that's, that's on all. the defense is is good, or that as a unit, it is a good defense. It's a very good defense, and and that's always where they make their money. So, in a game like that, again, first, and I think the world of Dante Moore, but this is going to be his first kind of really big college game, um, in an environment where again you're going to the home of the two-time defending Pac-12 champs. So, in my mind, like, we can't turn the ball over this game and give Utah extra possessions because, as it stands, their quarterback is not going to be very good if Cam Rising isn't there. So if we can protect the ball, 
run the ball well, and that's where I think these Colin Schley stuff like comes in. That that I think goes a long way because we start have some success there. That's when Dante Moore becomes really dangerous with with the, with the big plays. Well, and and you mentioned big plays, but I think this is where we see, hopefully, guys like J. Michael Sturdivant get unchained a little bit. I think that that playbook that we've been. I think largely keeping very vanilla against all these opponents we've played so far might open up a little bit. Not in the sense that we're going to start throwing bombs down the field um, against Utah, but I think we're going to just see a little bit more of the uh, intricate plays and the, the offense that I think Chip Kelly designs here that that hopefully can trip up a defense, um, starting with Utah, and a lot of that for more, I think, has to come from, you know, his receivers getting open and giving him some space and giving giving him some uh, somebody to throw to. And I think guys like JMS, Kyle Ford, uh, we saw Cam Brown again uh, this past game, you know, get open for a long uh, touchdown. Like those guys are going to need to be at the top of their game to help Dante Moore, you know, succeed here. Uh, and and I think JMS has you know shown more than enough that he can uh, be that kind of guy. Uh, I think this is where we see him really try to uh, assert himself as a as a stud receiver. Yeah, I mean Utah hasn't really played anyone yet that can challenge them in the secondary because Florida was was really miserable um, throwing the ball downfield. And Baylor wasn't very good throwing the ball downfield either. And, and remember, Baylor started by losing to Texas State week one. So they haven't seen the likes of our receivers and, 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 a, and a quarterback like Dante Moore throwing down them. So that that's something to, to the advantage there. Again, um, you know, how much does Chip Kelly want to make this a bit of a grind-out fest? versus using the talent and the advantage that we might have out there uh, and, and unleashing the playbook of it. That's a big subplot. The other subplot to this is, I think, the obvious one, which is we've been talking about our improved defense for three weeks. Obviously, the competition gets a lot stiffer now. But again, like we, like we just talked about, in a weirdly different way, because we may, we may be playing Cam Rising and we may not. And if we're not playing Cam Rising... There is absolutely no excuse. Um, if we if we're gonna go anywhere this year, we have to be able to step up and not halt, sh- shut down Utah to a halt, but at the very least play good complementary football to however it is we're doing on offense. And, if, and whatever that means is depend on how we're doing on offense. If we're scoring, if we're only able to get ten points, then like our defense better be able to step up and, and do it the other way. But complementary football from our defense in this kind of a game with that kind of a quarterback. I think it's a must-have if we're going to go anywhere this year. It will... Yeah, I, I think there's so much that hinges on if Rising plays or not. Because if Rising doesn't play, and it were, we're talking about Nate Johnson or uh, Barnes, probably Nate Johnson... I think that plays into our, our hands a little bit. Obviously, there I, I would assume Utah leans on Jaquindon Jackson a little bit more. Uh, obviously, J- Nate Johnson's legs as well. And if we 
need if if we can play the run really well and play Nate Johnson and and keep him contained and that edge contained, uh, I think we'll be really successful. I, I think they're they are not going to throw as much and they are not going to challenge our secondary as much if uh, Cam Rising is not in the game. With Cam Rising in the game again, he is also a running threat. Now we'll see how much of a running threat he is coming off injury if he does play. Um, but he can't hurt you with his legs. But I think that secondary gets tested a lot more. And, you know, we've seen some improvement over the last two games. We've seen them tighten up on coverage. The The cornerbacks have looked decent. The safeties have looked good all season. But the, the test just becomes a lot harder, again, all across the board, including for the secondary. And are they actually as good as they've looked or even as decent half as decent as they've looked or is this all kind of fool's gold i i don't know if we'll know unless we know if cam rising plays and and even if rising plays i do still expect utah to run the ball a good amount here just to take some of that pressure off of him too you know he's coming off of what nine months of not playing football at this point uh so to throw him in again at least it's a home game for him but to throw him him into a, a game against a ranked opponent uh, is is a tough tough call is a tough ask like this is not an easy game for Utah by any means but you know they are at home they've seen success against UCLA time and time again at home and um, you know having that environment will only help rising you know rise to the occasion here probably but again let's not pretend like getting him rising back immediately is going to be you know him lighting the the scoreboard up but if he does play that does help their offense significantly i think another um interesting thing from this last week's game is that so cli tupaki comes back right so he was banged up a little bit and he comes back spencer holstage goes to the bench um probably a proactive move there by the staff to, to just get the offensive line combinations right ahead of this game that I think right there to me is the whenever you go to a place like Utah, um, that group right there, it's Utah usually turns this into a line of scrimmage game, and I think if we could fight them to a draw, in in both those areas, we'll have a chance. But if Utah, again, freshman quarterback, early his first big environment that he's been in. If Dante Moore is going to be under under pressure for a lot of big portion of this game, or if we're not able to run the ball, pretty much don't see a way we're going to win the game here. So that offensive line and the return of Seattle to hockey, is that going to be the right combination now, the, 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 the combination going forward? Was this a proactive move? Because if we can fight them to a draw on the offensive side, then I think we will we'll have a good chance here. But Utah, it's always going to be a line of scrimmage game with them. Well, if anything, Tupaki gives us some more depth. Even if we, I I don't expect him to be. I think we'll see a lot of rotating going on with him and Holstage, just because he's coming off that injury now. But uh, to your point, it definitely bolsters the line and. Utah is always a team, like you said, controlling the line. I, 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 I think even more, and 
than pass pro, we need to make sure that we, we're opening the run game. And, and Chip Kelly knows this, right? Chip Kelly, you know, over his tenure at UCLA has always been more or less a run-to-throw kind of uh, offense. And so we need to open holes up for Carson Steele and TJ Harden and make sure that we can establish those guys on the ground. And, I, I you know, keeping that rotation going between those two guys is going to be important. Um, you know, getting other guys in there as needed and, and some plays, you know, Yankoff is shown to be effective. Like, we have the running attack and we have the talent and the horses here to be really effective against these Utah defense. Um, and we have different guys with different skill sets, and I think we can hurt them on the ground as long as our O-line is at least giving them some space. Like, I don't think they need to be perfect because I think our running back talent is good enough to create you know some space for themselves and, and you know hit the hole when, even small ones. But we got to have decent play here to be able to be effective here. And, and I think I, I will keep saying this until I'm proven otherwise, but I, I, at this point, I do trust a Chip Kelly offense to you know, come up with some sort of running scheme to be, be effective. I, yep. I don't think we've been proven otherwise yet. I, I agree. And, and, Largely, the 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 only the big question on offense will just be like, can we not turn the ball over? And then, is this defense for real? Um, and and not even for real, but can we just stay complementary to what it, whatever it is we're doing? It's an interesting line from Vegas this week. So Utah is a four and a half point favorite, and the over under is fifty one. So Vegas right now is calling what like a twenty six. 27 to 22 kind of game kind of right now um or somewhere abouts like add, add a couple points here and there 27 24 something like that we're, we're talking yeah. like a field goal essentially so so not a whole lot there and and it's basically the home home crowd that's given the advantage to utah right now in that in that in that, that spot which which feels about right because if Cam Risen was there and healthy, I think I would. I don't think we'd be talking a whole lot right now, and and we'd probably be we'd be saying it's going to be tough to beat them over there. Um, but with with him either just coming back or this, um, you know, a different quarterback, a new quarterback coming in, this will be as good a chance as any as we're ever going to get to go into Salt Lake and get a win, and kind of break serve in this in in the schedule here. Because, again, you do that here, that breaks one of the games that preseason we weren't expected to win. Um, and in the Pac-12 this year, you, that, that's just that, – that, that would be invaluable. That's, that's gold. It's – yeah, it, it's, it's wild to me that in its death throes, the Pac-12 is proving to just be a wildly good conference. Like every – half the conference is, is ranked – uh, really, the only two teams I feel like are completely dead on arrival are Stanford and Arizona State. Everybody else yeah. is showing some sign of life. Even Cal is showing some signs of life. And I don't think there's going to be a single easy game on this on the schedule, minus maybe ASU and Stanford. But every other team, and this is like classic Pac-12, right? 
it will cannibalize itself. Everyone can kill everyone else. And it makes for a fun season. Do we see somebody actually get into the playoff because of that? I don't know. But, you know, there's some teams that look really, really good. I mean, Washington looks good. Oregon has looked solid, um, but beatable. I still, I think, you know, until proven otherwise, I will still say Utah is going to win this conference. I think if our defense proves to be actually real, I'll throw UCLA's name in that in that uh, hat. Like, why not at this point, right? And then, you know, the, the, the other school across town. And their offense looks great. I think they, they have some question marks against around their defense as well. It's going to be a bloodbath, as is tradition with the Pac-12, and it's 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 kind of sad to to go out on this, but also good to go out on this. Like, this is what the Pac-12 has been when it's good. It's just everyone is good, and everyone can beat each other, and uh, there's no one singular dominant team. Yeah, it's interesting because like this was the first weekend I felt like if you just watch all the national shows that the Pac-12 was getting that level of respect like the what we saw was becoming the reality like across like TV coverage which was discussion of the Pac-12 potentially being the best league in college football this year Um, because again like the SEC has taken some major hits uh, in the the early non-conference like Georgia and South Carolina just played a bloodbath and South Carolina week one got embarrassed by North Carolina Right, so like, a Bama bunch of stuff like, lost to USF or struggles. yeah, Bama went, Bama got, got got lost by double digits to Texas, and then you saw what happened there, and they don't look like they have a quarterback that can throw a forward pass right now. So, it it's interesting just hearing all that, and then you know you hear the commentary like, oh, well, the one year the Pac-12 was good, and the the sad part about this is again, so much of this is recency bias, right? I mean, the last five years to six years have been just historically bad for the Pac-12. But when you and I were in school, like, this is what it was like. Um, Like, we talk about all the quarterbacks that are in the league this year, and you think about the quarterbacks that we saw when we were in school, right? And we didn't, I don't think we saw all them, like, together, but we saw, what, like, around the same time. Andrew Luck at Stanford, Marcus Mariota Mariota at Oregon, Matt Barkley at SC, we had Brett Hundley. Um, This is how it used to be, uh, you know, Stanford had a ton of good backs, you know, the Christian McCaffrey's and such of the world. Oregon under Chip Kelly was, was a beast. Stanford under Jim Harbaugh and then David Shaw. I mean, this this is what it used to be like. Um, even Cal, like, had, had its period with Jeff Tedford where they were borderline, like, very good some years and then very and good other years. And these things are all cyclical, and it's unfortunate that it all had to happen when, you know, the – the peak of all these TV negotiations were about to take place. Of course, combined with some terrible decision-making, but, you know, this, it, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, and, and, and then it's all going to, going to end. So, you know, that's, unfortunately it's the way it's got to be, but this isn't how, this is how we, we, we remember the pac wolf when we were in school. Yeah, it was, there's, there was always the, uh, the pac 12 circle of suck meme, right? You would have, your best team, you know, go and lose to some random team uh, who would have lost. Like, it was every team had lost to each other at some point, And it didn't help 
getting the a team into the playoff or into you know the national kind of championship race but it always made for a hell of a fun ride over that season and it's it's too bad that it took so long to get back to this and yeah it it is unfortunate that the that down period coincided with all that tv negotiation who knows what would have happened if there was actually a decent product on the field maybe that would not maybe it would definitely strengthen some of our negotiation power from a um uh tv deal standpoint that being said i i don't think that would have even overcome how bad the leadership has been for the pac-12 so regardless of that let's 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 be clear here the biggest factor that killed this conference was the lack of leadership uh across yeah, the, the conference board. killed the conference yeah um but it is it does make me sad to kind of think about like you know what could have been the last few years if we had gotten our shit together uh this could keep I'm, going on this could have been happening for a while this could have kept going on for years and this is it's fun the back 12 is finally fun again yeah i'm going just looking at you know when the moment that ucla got good again under jim mora so 20 20- 13 so 2012 we went you know nine and five right it was Morris first year and so 2013 we had six ranked teams you know Oregon Stanford UCLA USC Arizona State Washington 2014 Oregon UCLA Arizona State Arizona USC Utah and Stanford actually like beat us that year but ended the year like also ranked I mean, we had some crazy teams in that period. If you just look at, like, the number of pro bowlers and all-pro players that have come out of, like, those teams and still lost, like, about two to three conference games a year uh, back then. So, you know, this, this is, this is how, how we used to remember it. Um, but, hey, uh, unfortunately, this is the last year. It is the last year. Let's see if UCLA can make some noise in its last year. Uh, and it, it all starts this Saturday. I, it, it really comes down to, can we get over this Utah mountain? Can we, can we get past them? I, we beat them last year at home, but can we get past them on the road uh, at, their, at their house? Because it has not historically been kind to us, but, you know, this is our last chance to do this for probably a very long time. Uh, so I would love to see UCLA finally go to Rice-Eccles and actually get a, a win. Because it's been... Have we ever won there? I, I literally... I should have looked this up before we recorded. I cannot remember last time we went to Rice-Eccles and won a game. Ooh, that's a good question. I'm going to look that up as we keep talking here. Cause I, I feel like don't... we might have under the Jim Mora uh, year, but I... I or years I don't know when the last time was though I'm not even sure we I think we might we might have done it one year under Mora you know what yes I'm looking at it right now 2015 I remember uh, we went up there in a snow filled game and won 17 to 9 but other than that it's been all uh usually blowouts over there 
So it's been eight years since we've won. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure 2015 is the last time we won over there. Yeah, that's uh, it's been a minute. <laughs> well, and like they've only been in the league since like 2012. Right. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But all over the league, I mean, conference plays is starting, and you know, once again, the the eyes of the college football world are going to be on Colorado, Oregon. Um, this week, so they're all going to be on Colorado again. But other than that, even um, you know, Oregon State goes to Washington State. You know, the two kind of also were hands now of the Pac-12. The the last the, actual the two, remaining teams of the Pac-12. The Pac-2, like the Pac-2 championship game, is this weekend. Um, and, like, that is a game that has serious implications for, like, conference race stuff at the end of the year. So it's a big weekend uh, with conference play starting. Yeah. Uh, do you think game day is going to go to Utah, or not Utah, sorry, Oregon, um, Colorado? Because I feel like that's the natural choice. Have they announced it yet? I don't think so. Unless I missed it. Because... So this is this but is what's, going ESPN. Uh, they're going to go to like some dumb SEC game. Well, so this is what's I think interesting because like you got Ohio State going to Notre Dame this weekend. So, like, they're on two levels. First off, or this is are all these shows where are they going to go? <laughs> but then the other part to it is like which game was actually going to get higher viewership is it going to be Colorado and Oregon or is it going to be Ohio State and Notre Dame um, like I don't know man the, the coach prime effect is in full force right now I, it's, I, it's in complete force so it looks like game day is going to target field for some weird game this week because they couldn't decide where to go <laughs> that's dumb Wait, what game is that Target Field? Yeah, uh, South Dakota State and Drake University. What the actual fuck? Yeah. So that's where they'll be. All right. Anyways, I think that I think Colorado might lose by a couple scores this week. I don't know what you think about that. They did not look good against State, and Colorado State should have won that game, I think. I, I don't know if you stayed up and watched it. Absolutely, they should have. If not for some very mistimed penalties, they would have won the game. I mean, Colorado State, let's be honest, played pretty dirty for a lot of that game. Especially the early parts of the game. The, the, the hit on Travis Hunter was completely uncalled for. That was egregious. That was, I get it's a rivalry game. It gets chippy, people do that, but that, like, that hit was just completely uncalled for, and I don't know if you saw, like, I I believe they announced, or it came out, he had, like, a lacerated liver, was what his injury was after that. And it's pretty insane that it's only going to be three weeks. Yeah. But, but... That's three weeks without their best playmaker on offense, and you could argue on both sides of the ball, right? And they missed him in that second half of that game. Like They missed him sorely because they did not have a guy who could take the top off the defense, go up for the ball on offense to to 
you know, give Shadur that kind of outlet. I, I, they did miss him. They still should have probably put Colorado State away a couple of times, but they, they should, they got very lucky on that, yeah, in that game. Cool. Well, um, we will catch you guys next week after this, uh, very, very big showdown against Utah. Um, as always, you can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you find a podcast. We should be there. And if we're not, let us know and we will get it, get you the show there. Um, and with that, as always, go Bruins.